Psalm 2. Psalm 2. I do not know of any passage in Scripture that more beautifully captures the reality of what it means to be in a fallen world. What does it look like? And what, does, what, what are the chances the world is going to succeed? None. And what will our God do as he brings forward complete victory for himself and those who have cast themselves upon his mercy? Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, his Christ, his Messiah, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun lest he be angry and you perish in the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. I don't know any passages of Scripture that just cuts through nonsense and tells us the reality of who our God is in all of his might in fulfilling his own purposes in this world. Why do the nations, the Gentiles, rage and the people plot a vain thing? What is the psalmist saying? By the way, we don't know who the psalmist is. Many of the psalms say a psalm of Asaph or a psalm of David. We don't know who the author of this psalm is. By the way, then this is a Jewish conjecture, but I think it's probably accurate. This may well have been a psalm read at the anointing of every son of David. As they were anointed, they didn't crown kings in ancient Israel. They anointed kings. This ceremony was an anointing 
with using olive oil and prayer, but the kings were anointed. That is why Jesus is Jesus the Christ. Christos is Greek for anointed one. Mashiach, which we anglicize to Messiah, is Hebrew for anointed one. Because that is how the sons of David stepped into their role as king, as there was an anointing ceremony. Now, at this ceremony, which would have been publicized well in advance, any vassal nation, any nation surrounding Israel, or later Judah, that was a vassal state, they would send emissaries, they would send representatives for this ceremony. <coughs> and it was at this point, at the beginning of this new king's reign, that they would be expected to openly state their submission to this new ruler. And we're going to see that as we go through the, the psalm. But what is it that the psalm opens with? Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? And what is the psalmist saying? We see the Gentiles, we see the nations out there, frankly, walking in insanity. What's the difference between a sane person and an insane person? Quite simply, a sane person, what we would call sane, some of us have wrong measuring sticks, but uh, a sane person is someone who sees things as they really are and makes decisions based on how, and an ins we would call someone insane who is obviously making decisions that have no, real no, no understanding of the reality that they're dwelling in. And so they constantly are paying huge prices for the, their stupidity. And what is the first verse of this psalm? Why do the nations rage? They are full of anger. Why do the nations rage? Why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot, set in play? Oh, we're going to plot. We're going to make a vain thing. What is it? Vain. Empty. You can make all kinds of plans. You ever had, have you ever made a plan that felt they turned up nothing? <laughs> that didn't succeed? Hey, it happens all the time, doesn't it? People make plans that, oh, well, that didn't work. Why do the nations rage? What are, the, what are they raging about? You know, I, I'm, I'm, you may not agree with me in this, but whenever I hear somebody say, I am an atheist, I think, stop lying to me. Stop lying to me. There is no such thing as an atheist. There are people who pretend to be atheists, who pretend there is no God. Why are they pretending there's... Because it is not going to match their view of reality. They, they are actually governed by immorality, by a rebellious spirit, and it's really inconvenient to that if there is an authentic God that they're going to have to pay it, that they're going to have to answer to. And so I'll pretend that God doesn't exist. Just like people who think, well, I will be the one who commits this crime, and I'll be the one who gets away with it. Now, if that fellow Bob over there, if he were to do the same thing, why, well, there's no question at all that he'd get caught. But me? Ah, I am the guy who will get it. And you end up in a jail cell. <laughs> that's insanity. We, I think that's a, a level of insanity. And especially if you keep on and keep on and keep on and keep on. 
people, people, eventually, your best friends throw up their hands. <laughs> Why do the nations rage? Why are they angry? Because they want to do what they want to do. And they don't like anyone who interferes with that. And the Creator God, who holds their very breath in His hand, says, uh, no, not going to happen. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain and empty plot? <laughs> There's no way they're going to succeed in the rebellion against the Creator God. It ain't going to happen. It's not going to succeed. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel to, together against Yahweh. Notice the Lord is all in capital letters. It's Yahweh. It's the covenant name of God, which we, which we mess up. I won't go into all this. Jehovah is the mispronunciation of Yahweh. It's Yahweh. Against Yahweh, the Lord, and against his Christ, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. What do they know? What do they know in their secret conclaves? When they're really in secret talking, what do they? They know there is a Creator God. They know that Jesus of Nazareth is His Son. He is the Christ, and He has, as Jesus says of Himself in Matthew twenty-eight, "I have all authority. I have all power in heaven and on earth. I have all authority in heaven and on earth." and I hold your very breath in my hand. Every single breath we take, whoever you are, if you're God's worst enemy, every breath you take is a mercy from God. Why wouldn't you want to walk with that God of mercy and, and grace, provision, if you are sane, you would. But it is literally a measure of insanity that the world walks in rebellion against that God of mercy, love, goodness, grace, kindness, who has all power in heaven and earth, who holds the very creation in, this, in the span of his hand, who spoke the universe into existence. And the nations are raging against him. The leaders of the nations are raging against him because they want to run their own lives according to their own preference. And is that going to work? No, it never has. It never has. There was this... Uh, empire at one time called the, let's see, let's go all the way back to Egypt. Uh, at the time, in 1400, 1440 BC, Egypt was the most powerful, economically prosperous nation on the planet. And what did Yahweh do to that most powerful, economically prosperous nation on the planet in order to get his people out of there? He 
poured out ten plagues on them and completely destroyed that nation. And then, after they had given permission to the Jewish people to leave, the Pharaoh became enraged. And he decided it would be a really smart thing if he assembled his army and they took out after those Jewish people to bring them back. How, did, how in the world did we allow those two and a half to four million slaves to escape us? Let's go back and drag, let's go find them and drag them back. And caught up with them right at the shore of the Red Sea. And then a pillar of fire came between them and the Jewish people. <laughs> so they couldn't attack the Jewish people. And then the waters were separated. And then the Jewish people went through the separated walls of water across the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh thought, ah, yes, that God who has just destroyed my nation, the God who has just made a way for Israel to escape me, he will hold up those walls of water for me and my army as we pursue his people so we can destroy his people. Was that sane? And we all know what happened. The walls of water collapsed on Pharaoh and his army, and nobody made it back. Nobody. And then the Assyrians took the ten northern tribes into captivity, and then the Babylonians came over the walls of Jerusalem, followed by the Persians. <laughs> followed by the Greeks, followed by the Romans. Notice followed by, followed by, followed. They were all doing things that were going to permanently change things. And, not, not, and where has Rome gone? Well, those uh, German horrible guys came over the walls of Rome. And not quite the end of the story, because God's going to raise it up a, for a brief time at the end to accomplish his own purposes. But why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord. They know who they're rebelling against and against his anointed. They know who they're rebelling against, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He wants to tell us how we ought to do things, and we don't want any restraint. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Oh, man, this is stand-up comedy routine material in heaven. You know, we, we know of various classes of angels. There are seraphim, burning ones. They are literally angels of fire. And they lead the worship in heaven before the throne of God. They lead the worship. They're the cherubim. They're the ruling angels. I'm going to suggest something. I may be wrong. I may, I'm telling you right now. I really do believe that there is a uh, clown class. <laughs> I, mean, I think there are the angels that go before the throne of God with uh, comedy material. <laughs> and the biggest source of their comedy material is looking down here on planet Earth, and he who sits in the heavens laughs. 
because the jester angels are reminding him of this serial stupidity of what's going, the clown show that's going on on planet Earth. That's conjecture. I don't have a thus saith the Lord for that, but it does say, he who sits in the heaven that laughs. The Lord, shall, the Lord shall hold them in derision. He, the Lord, mocks them. Then, after his, the laughter has subsided, he says, He shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Okay, boys, it's time to stop the nonsense. And just as he stopped the nonsense in Egypt with ten plagues, and then the drowning of Pharaoh and his army, and just as he stopped the nonsense... By the way, this is wonderful. Assyria. The Assyrian Empire, they succeeded in growing an empire. Their principal trait in growing that empire was they were the single most cruel conquerors of any ancient conquerors. They were geniuses at siege warfare. And the typical thing that happened, when the Assyrians came to your walled city or town, when they showed up, they would start digging post holes out around your city, and they would put pointed stakes in those post holes. That was to let you know that they were serious. If you resist us, if you do not simply surrender, we will impale you on these stakes. We will stack you up. And of course, the first ones in line will be the leadership. And so this typical response of a city or town that was besieged by the Assyrians was they would instantly surrender <laughs> because they knew the Assyrians will be coming over the walls. That's why, jo why Jonah didn't want to go and preach to those people. The capital city of the Assyrian Empire was Nineveh. Jonah was from the northern part of Israel when the Assyrians and later the Persians and the Babylonians, they would come up the Tigris-Euphrates Valley and come down. And the very first part of the Israeli people that would get hammered would be the people from where Jonah lived. Jonah had almost certainly lost friends and relatives to the cruelty of the Assyrians. And then God says, I'm going to send you to Nineveh so you can preach to them so they will repent. And Jonah's like, no, Lord, I'd much rather you just judge them. <laughs> and so he ran the other way. Well, you know the story. He ended up being sent to Nineveh, and they repented. They repented. And in ancient history, I think this is amazing. When was it that Jonah went? Jonah went there about 705 B.C. And the ancient historians will tell you the Assyrians were just going downhill in a great fast clip. Their whole culture and civilization was collapsing. And all of a sudden, bang, at about 705 B.C., they're not referencing Jonah at all, by the way, all of a sudden things leveled out for a generation and things leveled out for a generation before they fell off the cliff again, and that's when the Babylonians came and conquered them. And so here we have from ancient history, which makes no reference whatever to the biblical text, the effects of Jonah's ministry, a generation 
was saved. A generation was impacted by the gospel of God's mercy. But he who sits in the heavens at the statements of rebellion made by these leaders, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall hold them in derision, then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. And this is his statement to them. You're rebelling against me. You're rebelling against my anointed. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I am putting my king there. I'm putting the anointed there. Don't be stupid and rebel against my work and my ways. I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion, that hill of Zion that I have set apart. I, this is God speaking. Actually, this is the Christ speaking. I will declare the decree, the Lord, Yahweh, has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. In the Hebrew Scriptures it says that when a new son of David is anointed king, he would actually step into a father-son relationship with the God of the nation. And so on that day of his anointing, you could say he was begotten into that new role in a special way, a special relationship with God that was his. And so each anointed, and of course, this is fulfilled in all of its fullness in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. When Jesus was, and I love this, every one of those sons of David who was anointed as king, they're anointed with the olive oil, which is an emblem for the Holy Spirit. When was Jesus anointed to be, take the throne of Israel? And who did it? Who was present? Well, that Levitical priest, whom we call John the Baptist, and yes, he was a Levitical priest, Jesus came to him to be baptized. He said, what? Wait, 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 wait. You need to be baptizing me. I'm not good enough to carry your shoe, your sandals. No, no, no. We're going to do this so that all righteousness will be fulfilled. And so John the Baptist baptized Jesus. This is the way of linking Jesus' ministry to his ministry. And when Jesus came up out of the water, you read all the gospel accounts, not just Jesus, but John the Baptist, he saw the Holy Spirit descend in the form of a dove and light upon Jesus. Well, he didn't anoint Jesus with oil, but he saw the actual Holy Spirit represented by this dove come and light upon Jesus, and he heard a voice from heaven, this is my beloved son. You are my son this day I have begotten. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That is when Jesus stepped into his place as the Christ. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. And what does Jesus say in Matthew 28 to the apostles? He's risen from the dead. He meets the apostles. He tells the, the ladies who came to his tomb 
who are throwing their arms around him as they're leaving the tomb and they are met by Jesus and they're, I mean, Mary, 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 let go. I got to ascend to my father. (laughs) But tell my apostles to meet me in Galilee. And when they meet him in Galilee, this is Matthew 28, he says to them, all authority, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, if he has all authority in heaven and on earth, what's withheld from him? Nothing. Today, my father said to me, I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. And that is what the father is giving to the son, the nations for his inheritance. This world belongs to Jesus. He is the authentic king over every nation. Every nation. I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. And you take a ceramic piece of pottery and you join it with a swiftly swung iron rod, and what happens to that piece of pottery? It shatters. It goes away. What will happen when our Lord Jesus Christ comes and all the nations of the earth are rising against him? Well, Zechariah 12, 13, and 14, many renditions in the book of Revelation. (coughs) Every island and mountain will be moved out of its place. Even the the city of Jerusalem would be broken into three pieces. Every other city on the planet will be turned to rubble. He will strike the earth with a rod of iron. And then he will renew it. And then he will renew it. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So what are you going to do with this reality, you kings of the earth? And by the way, you subject people, also, you might want to pay attention. (laughs) Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. And judge was a synonym for a king. That's why we have the book of Judges in the Old Testament. They were men who defended the innocent and hammered the guilty. That's their role. And the judge's role is both. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. And we've all rejoiced with trembling at some point in our lives. Really? Have you ever had a real close encounter on the highway <laughs> where you pull to the side? <sighs> you're trembling, but you've got a big grin on your face too? <laughs> That's called rejoicing with trembling. And when you suddenly discover, you know, I almost made the wrong decision regarding this Messiah King. I almost persisted in my rebellion, and thank you, God, you 
I got some wisdom, <laughs> and I submitted to him. I kissed the son. I did I, a kiss in this context, in the angel, was an act of submission. I submitted myself to the son, and I received his favor instead of his punishment. I'll take that, I'll take that, I'll take that. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry. And the representatives of the vassal nations who would be there in the presence when that son of David was being anointed, they would, they would actually come up and as an act of submission, they would put a, plant a kiss on his cheek. Or if the question of their rebellion, they might actually come forward on their knees and he would put his feet on them. And what does it say, by the way? The earth is our God's footstool. I would rather kiss than do that, but either way, I need to submit to who he is. And what's the outcome? I didn't know what mercy was. I didn't know what grace was. I didn't know what love was. I didn't know what kindness was until I submitted, and then I found out as he poured out all of that upon me and stepped me into, stepped us into a kingdom, the glory of which will never end. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed. And that word blessed captures all of that love, mercy, grace, ki kindness. Blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. I'm going to trust that you are that God whom you have declared yourself to be and proven yourself to be. God demonstrates His love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, as unlike Him as we could possibly be, in heaven's nostrils we stink. God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were still sinners, as unlike Him as we could possibly be, Christ died for us. Pretty powerful proof. Pretty powerful proof. But as we read Psalm 2, do we not see the nations raging? Do we not see people plotting a vain thing? Where will that go? It will not work out well for them. But we also see God pouring out a spirit of repentance on this earth. There are more Chinese Christians than Americans. Let me say that again. There are more Chinese Christians than Americans. That's how powerful the gospel is, impact has been in that nation. We're seeing the Muslim world being turned upside down. The, the persecution is ramping up in India 
and Nepal. Why? Because the gospel is exploding across the landscape. God is at work. God is at work. Let's give praise and glory to Him. Our Lord, we want to thank You that You are so good at what You do. You are doing exactly what You said well ahead of time that You would do. You are taking the very rebellion of the enemy and actually turning it back on themselves to create open doors as you as those who authentically know you are being persecuted and taking a public stand for you and bear, you're, they're actually, your persecutors are lending reason to the people around them to listen. Well, what does that person who's persecuted, who's willing to die for this message, for this promise, what do they know? What is the content of that? And as they hear it, and it's been authenticated by these bearing persecution, the kingdom of God is growing and growing and growing. You've turned the enemy's tactics back around on them. And we give you thanks that you are so good at what you do. And again, as we prayed earlier, we ask that that spirit of repentance might be poured out right here in the Texas Hill Country, on this state, on this nation, as it has been and is being poured out around the world. Make a name for yourself in this God of mercy and aggressive love. In your name we pray. Amen.